Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here on this Friday morning, the very first weekly update of 2016. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, Boca Tov, it's good to be with you again in the new year. Can you believe that (laughs) that a year from now, a year from now we will just be ready to inaugurate a brand new president and who knows, you know, I looked back, I said this earlier in the show, I looked back at 2015, if there's one thing that this past year reminds us about is how crazy this world is and how <laughs> we are living in very, very challenging times and times where things change in an instant. Think of the difference between the way 2015 started and the way it has ended, and it's simply just such an, a marked difference, it's unbelievable. And who knows what this new period of time, people like or don't like when I say new year, but what this new year is going to bring. Who knows? And like I say, by the time we do this again next year, please God, or you know, a year from now, we will have elected a brand new president. We'll be waiting for, a, uh, for an inauguration. So. It is true, but it could be a very long year. Um, I think people who, who think that uh, either the president is going to step back and uh, just rest on his laurels, uh, are very wrong. I think this president is going to work to the last minute, the last hour of the last day. He has goals. Uh, he talks about his legacy issues. Uh, he made me do a lot more interviews like uh, he did with uh, Seinfeld, but uh, the fact is that at the same time, they are moving ahead with uh, a more defined agenda. And also, I think all of those who, who engage in the predictions, it's like the people who predict what the stock market will do, you know, they can all claim at the end of the year some interpretation that uh, validated the, the, what they said, but the fact is that no one can tell you today, or nobody would have told you a year ago, where we would be today uh, in regard to many of the issues that we discuss. Oh, that's for sure. And you wonder who that new president will be and what difference they may make. And you know what's interesting? I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. <laughs> the the and It became a... They got back into the headlines together, uh, President Obama and Prime Minister Netanyahu, because of this situation, uh, wiretapping, um, whatever other methods were used to infiltrate you know, the conversations of the Prime Minister, etc., whatever the accusations are. It is amazing how the two of them will have spent all this time at the helm of their respective positions. You know, it's one thing we know in, in the United States, you get eight years, you've done the maximum, and, and sure enough, it's close to a decade. And Prime Minister Netanyahu, I don't know, is, is it that he's had no competition all these times? <laughs> is it that he's such a political expert that he's able to fend off all the opponents and maintain his position as Prime Minister? It's, it's incredible the length of time that he's remained in power. It, it is, and he is going for the record to be the longest-serving uh, Prime Minister. And the, the um, president, well, he served his, the, the constitutional limit, right. uh, but... It is, um, you know, there is a, it seems, a dearth of, of people. There's no one, if you would uh, assess the public opinion in Israel, who draws broad support to challenge the prime minister today. And uh, we see in the political machinations here in America that, you know, you don't see single individuals emerging, but. Uh, certainly in the Republican side, this panoply of, of candidates. Uh, and on the Democratic side, while 
Hillary is is very strong, you don't see that there's this kind of broad support. Obviously, when they get into the conventions later this year, they'll all rally behind their candidates and go into the last part of the silly season. Uh, but it's um, I think there's a universal factor here about the question of leadership. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if it's just people who, you know, have reached a certain age, not to indicate that you or I have done so already, you know, look look back with great favor at the leaders of yesterday. Because, you know... Yeah, but we tend to glorify them and, and to forget about uh, some of the conversations, for instance, with Ronald Reagan... Everybody today glorifies him as this great friend of Israel, which he was. But at the same time, we had serious issues, Bitburg, the AWACS, other things that were serious. And at this time, we see, for instance, in Israel, where people emphasize, you know, the, the, rightfully, the, there was another attack shooting this morning, it seems, in Tel Aviv. We don't know yet the nature of it. But the, uh, you know, the knife of Fada, these other things. And yet, if you look at some of the international indices, the Human Development Index, it shows that Israel's life expectancy, this is measured against 1980, is up by 8.3 years to 82.4. At that schooling, it went up to 12 and a half years. And um, the, the Israel's uh, per capita income from 15,000, under 15, to more than 30. And this is better than many of the most developed uh, nations, including in terms of the number of people employed, including the number, the, the rate of unemployment is amongst the lowest, amongst the highly developed things. And what won't be a surprise is that the number of mobile phones per 100 people <laughs> is the highest. <laughs> it's 121, which means that you have 1.2 phones per, pe- per uh, person, <laughs> but it's only one example, and this this just came out and and has not really been absorbed fully. But it's it's an indicator that uh, you know we 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 tend to look at the tsars and the, the negatives, that, and, and we try to highlight good news too uh, every week. I know you try to to look at some of the other issues, uh, including the new discoveries, which continue. Uh, you saw Israel and India launch the Barak 8 missile system. It was right. successfully tested in the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. Here, India, a billion people, turns to Israel to de- and, and highly developed engineering uh, uh, infrastructure uh, for, for technology, etc. And yet they turn to Rafael for the, the uh, interceptor missiles produced by Rafael and the Radar is produced by uh, IAI. It is a remarkable statement. I was thinking about it uh, as I saw the the report from the about the uh, conditions of life, and you compare it, for instance, to Russia, where life expectancy has gone down. I think it's in the high fifties for for men, males in in. Uh, That's Russia. it. It's gone down, yeah, from the sixties down to the fifties. Incident that Malcolm alluded to. Initial reports said a shooting incident has taken place on Rehov Dizengoff in Tel Aviv. Four people wounded, and uh, obviously the circumstances at this point remain unclear, according to the Jerusalem Post. All right, so let's get to this story. Um, Let me just read to you for a moment. A new report from the Wall Street Journal reveals that NSA wiretaps found that the Israeli Prime Minister and other officials of the Israeli government attempted to and most likely succeeded to bribe American legislators in exchange for their support 
against the Iran deal. So first of all, tell us about the you know how commonplace this is that the that the activities of the prime minister or other officials in Israel would be monitored by the NSA. That's number one. And again, I'm sure you know I'm sure they would say that it was that they were monitoring the officials in Washington. And secondly, you know, do we know the level of truth to this story? Not to put down the Wall Street Journal and its credibility, but I mean, to what degree can we believe that this actually happened? Well, those are uh, those are very important questions that we've been wrestling with all week. Um, is it hard to believe it? It takes place. Not at all. Is it uh, acceptable that, as you said, if they were just monitoring American lawmakers, that's an even gro- uh, greater violation? Yeah. And the, um, they said it was limited to discussions with foreign officials. And it came out at the same time as in the announcement that they had stopped monitoring uh, Merkel of Germany, other leaders who took great offense at the fact that their phones were being monitored, and yet decided that the one country that they would continue to monitor, the one leader that we know of, maybe there are others, was, uh, was Netanyahu. They obviously have not acknowledged it yet how extensive it was, or uh, it was clearly an attempt to monitor what was being done to mobilize against the Iran legislation. And uh, I think we will, we have certainly expressed our outrage about what what happened, and and the fact that, according to some reports, that American Jewish leaders' uh, conversations were also uh, monitored. It doesn't say whether those were internal conversations or external, you know, with the Israeli officials. But even so, it's it's uh, you know the argument will be well everybody does it, which is true that everybody does it. But when we said it about the other way, you know people got angry. But here it becomes then a legitimizing for the United States, and I think members of Congress will be examining this very closely. It's the appropriate venue, and they will be demanding explanations. And hopefully, the Intelligence Committee, which has access to to that, and they do a lot uh, in uh, in camera in in uh, confidential hearings uh, will uh, as some of the members have said but it's important it shouldn't be a partisan issue it's not a jewish issue this is a really an american issue it's a civil rights issue civil liberties issue and i hope that we will get to the bottom of it some of your phone conversations could have been monitored and even the one with you every Friday morning, I hope, is me. Well, that's easy to monitor. I'm talking about the ones that are more <laughs> difficult, the ones that take a lot more technology. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, you, you always have to go on the assumption that somebody's listening to something because you can't, it, it, seriously, this is something that people don't know, but it, it doesn't have to be the government. I mean, people listen to your conversations all the time. It's not, it, it is not hard to do, and you just have to assume that that is the case. And what does bribe American legislators mean? Bribe in what way? We don't know if that means financial payments. We don't know if it means some type of political capital. We have no idea what that means. Exactly. Wow. Uh, That's a very serious charge. And uh, and I think that, above all, will get members of Congress um, mobilized. Um, You'd have to assume most White House, if in fact the White House behaved this way or or tried to utilize this information to their advantage, it would have to be assumed, again, as we look back with great favor toward administrations of the past, <laughs> that most administrations, I don't want to say all, but most administrations you know, go about the same tactics when necessary or when they feel it's necessary? 
it's hard to say. Uh, we know that in the past it certainly was done, and that's why they passed legislation. It was done by, by the Obama administration. It was done, I'm sure, by the Bush administrations and previous administrations engaged in, uh, well, these, these security agencies engage in some form of uh, monitoring of uh, foreign conversations. They are not supposed to be doing it, I think, domestically, but I think it would be naive to, to assert that it's not happening. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial Broadcasting Live. From the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. And, of course, on the NSN app. Reminder, great programming all through the weekend, including JM Sunday with Matt this Sunday morning between 7 and 9 a.m. on our stream at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. And, yes, we have a weekly update today. Maybe New Year's Day, but we have a weekly update. Malcolm Holmline is with us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. The uh, we, we got to talk about this uh, uh, situation in Israel with the Shin Bet. Um, many people at this point know what happened, <clears throat> that this summer there was a, an attack on, a, on an Arab family. Three people were killed, including a baby. And uh, now, between this wedding video that was released showing people celebrating this type of activity uh, with accusations flying every which way about what the Shin Bet is or is not doing and what right they have to or not to uh, try to um, uh, 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 get information from any of the detainees, how the detainees are being treated, whether any of them are being released or not. It has become a major political football as well. There's people who are generally... Uh, seen as allies to the uh, uh, to the religious Zionist cause, find themselves having to align uh, to a great extent with the government agency in this case, with the Shin Bet. Uh, this has turned into a major episode, and we need your help to try to you know understand what's happening here and what to think about all of this. And God forbid, could this you know, if not handled properly, really split the people in Israel even further than they are now. It, it is a, as sensitive an issue as you can have, and uh, the the incident that took place, the, uh, as you know, became a major international incident, and it's one that is discussed all the time. I think there was a lot of pressure brought to bear on Israel, to both domestically and internationally, to find those culpable for, for the attack, and it was condemned by people across the political spectrum, obviously. Um, and then uh, now, the truth is, we just don't know. Those of us sitting here and those of us, and, and, and many of the leaders in Israel, and I've spoke to some, uh, they don't know either. I mean, they know what the, what the police reports are, the security agency's reports are, and it will... Uh, there are supposed to be charges coming against more and more people, uh, but so far they haven't, and they had to release uh, some of those held because of insufficient evidence, according to the courts. So the bottom line is, we just don't know. But there have been, uh, you know, many accusations about Tag Mahir, the the uh, actions by the uh, the um, these young people who who they call the the mountain kids, the Hill kids, whatever. Um, we don't know who did it. We don't know what they've actually carried out. But whatever the source, they have to. It has to be addressed, and that means whether it's Arabs or Jews. If there are terrorist activities, 
regardless how justified somebody may feel their actions are and that they're doing it for the good of the country or, or their perception of it, they don't have a right to take the law into their own hands. And the government has a responsibility to, to address it, especially when lives are threatened. They have to do it, though, universally, and the same resources have to be applied to finding out those who incite, those who... Yeah, I, I think most people listening agree with you, but why in this case... Because there was death of a baby, because it was no, 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 such but, a brutal act. Right, but that's... And, and the international pressure was very great, and because Israel... Israel as the Israeli people rejected. Yeah, that's not, but that's not my question. My question is why, why in this case is there such suspicion that people who are innocent are being held? I mean, but we don't know if they're innocent. I think but, we have to but let this play out. I agree with you that we don't know. I, I just don't know. I, I, I can't answer it because I don't have access to the information that would be necessary. But is it simply a groundswell of support because people believe, it, it, unfortunately, believe in in this cause? That they're justified, or you know, should be supporting those who you know went ahead and, and did this. Is, is is it for that reason? Well, I think also the fact that the, that the reports and the press coverage of of uh, alleged torture or, right. or mishandling of, of kids, of people, these young people, uh, certainly arouses a strong reaction. And regards of who the the the, the uh, person carrying it out, when you, if, you, if somebody, a young man, comes out and tells the stories that some of these people have told. Again, we don't know what's true and not true. The, the lawyers uh, seem to validate the story, but of course it's, it's, it's in their client's interest. So Those who... It's very frustrating, but they, but they can't be... You can't allow uh, security, for, for whatever reason, just to run rampant. Those who generally align themselves with the religious Zionist camp, and we know that there's different... Um, there's different... Uh, Emotions, different uh, opinions in that camp about what should or should not be done. But those do they do they politically find themselves now between a rock and a hard place because they don't want to. Obviously, they they would want to take the position you've just taken that you know proper justice has to has to be meted out. But at the same time, they're worried about the you know the hardcore religious Zionist camp and some of its components that could you know harm them politically. Well, I don't think the hardest core. Uh, religious Zionist camp endorses these activities, and, uh, nor would they support them. So I, I'm not sure that you have that. Type of me. Hello, uh, can you hear me? Uh, now we got you back. Go ahead. Oh, I said that even the m- most uh, stringent of the of what you described as the religious ex- uh, strong religious Zionist camp would endorse these activities. They reject it, and they would want to see those who are responsible brought to justice. They don't want to see a, a um, uh, you know a crackdown that is unjustified or any kind of blanket accusations, but they certainly, I think, would reject and have rejected these kind of activities. And it's not just this one attack. I mean, there are unfortunately been uh, others as well that that are believed to have been uh, carried out by the people, individuals who do, they do not approve of, who are not really associated with them. They're independent. They are yeah. often take the, the people who are uh, loan operatives. So when you saw the infamous wedding video at this point, um, I mean, I, I, I assume you just felt that was outrageous, a public celebration of that type of thing. I, I assume you just felt that was outrageous. Yes. Right. Yeah, I'm just saying. So 
I guess we could apply that type of behavior to what we would call, I don't know, a fringe group within the religious Zionist movement? Would that be an, uh, an appropriate yeah, way? Yeah, I think also they can't exaggerate when those people are singing a song or something that uh, you know, that, that equates with uh, 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 other activities, but the glorification of, of uh, murder of that kind is not acceptable. Authorities arrested a Rochester man they say was planning a New Year's Eve terror attack Thursday. Prosecutors say 25-year-old Emmanuel Luchman was targeting a bar in Rochester to prove to the Islamic State group he was worthy of joining the militants in Syria. I didn't even realize there was an entrance exam at this point. I didn't realize, <laughs> I didn't realize you, had to, you had to prove yourself to become a member of ISIS. You had to actually carry... Yeah, but this guy seems to be, certainly has a history of mental instability. He was a, a self-proclaimed convert. Um, they provided the weapons. I, I don't think that this is the most serious case with the but there are, and, and the fact that this gets highlighted and then the media says, well, look at all the qualifying conditions of, of what he was going to do or didn't do. This year was a record year. They, they announced that 60, there were 60 arrests of, uh, of uh, terrorist, in terrorist plots and, and activities. 60 people who were charged with terrorism in 2015 in the United States, I'm talking about. And there were 15 uh, cases that were brought against uh, such individuals during this year. It may not sound like a lot, but is in fact a very significant number because to rise to that uh, level where they actually charge people and uh, have enough information to, to be able to substantiate a charge. And, and to me, what was most disturbing is that 55% of those who were charged were under 25 and about, I think, a third were under 21 years of age. Wow. And that is, uh, uh, I think, a very serious thing. This is not the same demographics that they had seen in the past, for instance, with Al-Qaeda recruitment. Unbelievable. Iran's President Rouhani has ordered an expansion of the country's ballistic missile development program in a move seen as a response to possible new U.S. sanctions against Iranian officials and businesses. Is the U.S. really going to implement new sanctions? Well, uh... We had expectations, as you know, this week there was a very serious incident, and I think it got underplayed. Uh, again, I don't know why, whether deliberately or just uh, lack of resources or lack of interest, but in the Straits of Hormuz, which Iran controls essentially, uh, the USS Truman, an aircraft carrier, came under, uh, came under rocket fire, not directed at it, but directed near it about 1,500 yards away, which may sound like a lot, but is in fact not when you're firing rockets from an Iranian ship. Uh, there was also another American ship nearby and, and a, a frigate from Britain. Um, and they they fired a series of rockets, uh, and this is a, a direct provocation. The uh, this follows the two missile launches, ballistic missile launches that we have talked about, that I think one in September, one in October, in clear violation of Security Council uh, resolutions. So Iran is putting down the markers, and if there isn't kind of really strong action, if they don't see that there are um, sanctions and other things, and, and supposedly the sanctions that were announced are put on hold. Uh, I don't know whether that's just technical or, or whether it's because they, they are backing off of it, but, you know, you, you, it is 
essential because the message both to our allies in the region. Now, we had also this week, you know, the Iranian um, ship that took 600 pounds, uh, which is about 300 kilograms of enriched uranium away to Russia, and that's all of their supposed 20% enriched uranium plus uh, additional amounts. Uh, the uh, this you have to remember is stuff that they can if they want to um, uh, replenish, and and they're allowed to go ahead with the development of more advanced centrifuges. So it means that they can replenish it in a in a quicker way uh, should they decide to go back to it. Uh, but we haven't seen yet the reports on how, what other steps that they've taken because we're rushing towards implementation day, meaning the day when they're judged to be insufficient in compliance so that the uh, sanctions can be removed and the you know this in, the, the flow of money of billions of dollars uh, uh, w- w- will go to them. Um, and we're going to see uh, legislation, I'm afraid, about whether states will be able to level their own sanctions and issues regarding the Iran Revolutionary Guard. I know many members of Congress are now talking about new sanctions, which uh, Khamenei said would be a violation of uh, of the agreements and that they would uh, renege as well if they um, if that is the case. But uh, we don't believe that they have much too much at stake. You know, they, they continue all of their aggressive activities all around the region in South America, in, in Middle East, in Africa. We've seen no reduction whatsoever. And at the same time, American firms are preparing now for the lifting of sanctions. They're preparing contracts. They're, they want to be at the front line because they don't want to be left behind on a, on a market of 77 million people. And uh, they want to move if as soon as the sanctions are lifted. And you're going to see the change. Now, the drop in oil, though, diminishes a lot the expected uh, flow of, of Iranian oil back into the market. If anything, it may suppress prices even more. Um, but uh, it would add maybe half a million barrels a day uh, to the exports from the Middle East by mid-2016. Uh, so there are so many levels within levels about uh, about this and you know there's a new uh, visa waiver uh, legislation that congress has it's introduced um, and that the president and actually signed off on to it's the visa waiver program to protect the security of the united states by making it more difficult to get it and iran is impacted because it's a us designated state sponsor of terrorism so uh, the answer is that Iran should not be a state sponsor of terrorism. They'll be off the list. And, but if they exempt Iran, if they keep going and, and uh, removing the restrictions and any kind of sanctions and punishments against Iran that violates not only human rights, the international terrorism, but the ballistic missile test, these, these direct confrontations uh, with us, their activities in Syria and, and Iraq for sure, uh, it will only encourage others to do the same, to see that the West is weak. It will force others to, to look to other directions, as they do now, uh, to Russia, which, is, uh, which today controls what's happening in, in, uh, in Syria. They're the shifting alliances that they have there. You know, they back the Free Syrian Army and the Kurdish uh, militias. The Saudis and Turkey support the Army of Islam, which is about 20,000 guys. And what's interesting now is we see that al-Qaeda is beginning to come back, especially in fighting against Saudi Arabia, 
the UAE, other areas, but we're seeing their presence again emerging. I wonder, I wonder how quickly people are going to start regretting, those who don't already regret, the Iran deal. That is a very interesting point, because if you look at some of the criticisms this week about it and about Iran, they're coming from Democrats, Democrats who were vocal supporters of the legislation, not just uh, from Republicans. So uh, I think that uh, there is some buyer's remorse. It's not, they have, people haven't said that they thought it was wrong to do it, but they're going to demand implementation of the full legislation, meaning the sanctions, and looking to um, uh, make sure that these provocations from Iran and Iran's threats, the threats against the United States, the threats against Israel, uh, continuing threats to destroy Israel, their activities with Hamas, and, with uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, with uh, um, uh, their, their threats against Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, Iran is still the focal point of international terrorism, and with the focus on ISIS and or IS or ISIL, depending upon who you listen to, um, should not deter from the fact that the really critical threat is Iran and will remain so during this year. Yeah. It's hard to predict what type of uh, escalation terrorism in general is going to have this coming year. God forbid. I mean, we don't want we don't want it, obviously. But it's just every time something happens, or uh, you know, oftentimes when um, we reference events that are going on different places in the world, uh, people as an almost knee jerk reaction, they'll say, "Well, you know, it's coming here soon." And I know it's already come here, but you know what I'm saying. We right. see this random attack, by the way, this morning, or I should say, uh, this afternoon in Tel Aviv. Now one is dead, seven are injured in a shooting attack. Rachov Dizengoff, and you know we, we think this is unique to Israel, and we know that it's not. And you know, what type of wake-up call we're going to need, God forbid, to understand that at a moment's notice, you know, terrorism can uh, can take over. I mean, I assume everything. So a prediction for this year will be: watch Iran in South America. We talked about it on the show, but I'm telling you that this will emerge as a critical issue. And uh, uh, whether the government or not, or does or does not, until now they do not really focus on it seriously. I think that you will see a growing rift between Russia and Iran in Syria. I think that their interests are, are bound to diverge uh, at various points. It doesn't mean that they won't continue in other ways, because you know they're, they're not bound in the same way we do to consistent policies. They are. Russia is investing a lot in the energy sector in Iran. They signed a lot of deals. They're they're trading in in significant ways. Uh, but you see that the reports that Iran is pulling out its troops from from Syria, not only because and, and to Iraq, uh, because of of Russia's activities and because of uh, various considerations. Not that they're lessening their involvement; they're still paying for the Russian, the weapons that Russia uses. But uh, and and Iranian money is still going to to help underwrite it. As you know, Russia's economic conditions are are pretty bad. Um, so they're building reactors in Iran. Russia is building reactors still to match the Boucher reactor, um, and Iran's banks are broke. They need a, a lot of money. Uh, so the two of them um, are are in cahoots on a lot of stuff. But I think that you might see uh, uh, more tensions between them and the continuing confusion in Syria because of the vast number of uh, of parties that are fighting and, and without the emergence of any central grouping. What's interesting, though, going back to the beginning of your statement on this one, is that 
I had pointed out to you a couple of weeks ago that we really have not focused at all, not even us, because you usually focus on stuff that the media, the general media will not, uh, about South America and the Iranian influence. And and at that time, you did say that, you know, we, we should you know what. And now you're saying, you know, put it on the calendar, so to speak, for 2016. I mean, how much more could the general media and it seem Washington ignore this if it's, you know, if it's about to rear its ugly head even further? It's not about to. And I have discussed this for a long time. Right. But we, it, it we, sounds no, like no, it's, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm yeah. saying we monitor it. And so I have to believe that they know, but I will tell you that a high-ranking intelligence person said to me, look, frankly, South America is not a priority for us, or Latin America. It's Mexico. What do you mean it's not a priority? It's got to be the biggest priority. There are 30,000 agents of Iran operating in South America. And this is not my guesstimate. This is the work done by a remarkable young guy who's been studying this in great depth. Um, he's based in Washington and nobody in the administration even listens to what he has to say and he has uh, photos he's shown me he has how the uh, Iranians have expanded their military production etc. in in Venezuela they're active in all the countries now thank God I think the uh, election in Argentina can set them back there a little bit but uh, the the extent of their activity even in Colombia and Panama traditionally considered more pro-American countries has expanded rapidly, and they and they're going to fight us from two hours away, not for, and and across our border in Mexico, not from from the Middle East, and how this doesn't get more attention, and and it's one of the many frustrations that we have, and I've talked to people in the White House, the State Department, repeatedly about it. Uh, I think, and that's why I'm saying that I think that that pot is going to boil over, right. and it could well happen in 2016 in ways that will not be able to be ignored anymore. All right. We'll reconvene next week. Thank you for a uh, a wonderful weekly update. Have a great Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. God willing, and a good Shabbos. There he is. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Even on uh, New Year's Day, we have a weekly update for you here at JM in the AM.